Okay, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we now shift our attention to your word, we would ask that you would speak to us this morning that you would teach us and minister to us through your holy word. Lord, we're grateful to be here. We're so thankful that we have this church that we can gather in every single Sunday and sing praises to your name, fellowship with one another, and also hear from you in and through your word. And so God, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would give us ears to hear this morning. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we are kicking off our official Christmas services today. And the emphasis this morning is on this idea, Jesus as the Savior of the whole world. Patty read for us from Luke chapter 2, and in verses 10 and 11, she read this. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In other words, the good news of great joy was always for all of the people. From the start, this Savior being sent was sent for the entire world. And this is a central part of the Christmas story. Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. Jesus didn't just come for white Europeans or Americans. No, Jesus came to save the entire world. And so every year as we approach Christmas, our hearts and our minds should turn toward the nations of the world and should turn in particular to those people who have not yet heard about Jesus Christ, have not yet been reached with the gospel. This is why every year as a church, we partner with the International Mission Board and receive a special Christmas offering that goes directly to global missions. And it's named in honor of a famous Baptist missionary, Lottie Moon. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But I had us read Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. And the reason for that is because in this passage, the Apostle Paul reminds us of just how critical this work is. This work of global missions. Again, in verse 11, we read, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We see the same truth 
that we discovered in Luke 2 being reinforced here in Romans 10. The truth that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. In him, there's an open invitation to every man, every woman, every child on earth, all seven and a half billion human beings. So this is wonderful news. But there's a problem. And the Apostle Paul identifies it for us. Picking up in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here Paul helps us to see how the good news gets out to all of the world. For Paul, this is the way. It's Missions 101. People are sent. They preach the gospel. People hear the gospel and believe it and call on Jesus and are saved. And the church has been doing this for the last 2,000 years. The gospel has reached every continent. However, there are still literally billions of people who have not yet been reached. So the mission is far from over. Now there are two opposite mistakes that we can make when we think about missions. First is to see missionaries as only those who are sent over there, as being sent overseas. And if we see it that way, we can end up neglecting and ignoring our own backyard. Not realizing that right now, if you're a resident here on the Gold Coast, that this is your mission field. God has called you and sent you right here, right now, to reach your family, your neighborhood, your workspace, your university, your school, with the message of the gospel. You're a missionary right now. And we've got to see it that way. But the second mistake that churches can fall into is to become so focused on our mission field that we forget about out there, that we have no regard for the nations and for the fact that there are people right now, literally, again, billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have no scriptures in their native tongue, and who have no church that they have access to. We need to have balance. We need to be focused on this mission field, but also have a heart toward the mission field that is the entire world. So in light of this, and in light of us kicking off our 2019 Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions this week, I've asked some dear friends to join us. Uh, this couple spent 26 years as missionaries through the IMB, the International Mission Board, and they have extensive firsthand knowledge of the situation of global missions and are going to help us to better understand uh, where the world is right now as far as missions are concerned and also help us to better understand how our contributions to the International Mission Board are used and how they actually are affecting uh, the work of the gospel around the world. So church, would you please give a warm welcome to Vern and Jennifer Hancock as I invite Vern up to come and share with us this morning. Thank you, Vern. Thanks, Daniel. I noticed that he can hold it down here. Sometimes I like to rove around, so it's going to be difficult. Uh, let me, he's got that, just leave that for the moment before we move on. Um, I want you to imagine with me, imagine with me that you are in a small little church, and you're 
you have a nice little church building and you're meeting there, and the government comes in and says, you can't have a church built on this property and they destroy it. So what do you do? And so you decide to go ahead and meet and continue to meet and move into a home or actually to an upper room, an upper area in their house and meet there. This happened to one of our friends, Madaraj, in India. Imagine again that you're 16 years old. You come to know Jesus. And as you come to know him and you place your faith in him and want to follow him, that your dad and your uncle come and take you and lock you in a room and are discussing amongst themselves whether they should kill you or not because you're no longer following, following Islam. And in the middle of the night, your mom comes, opens the door and says, get out of here. Your uncle and father are coming in the morning to kill you. And so you leave at 16 years old, the home and family that you knew. This happened to someone that we know in South Asia in Bangladesh. And then imagine that same man years and years later who is convinced that his people need to know Jesus and he is working amongst Muslims and seeing a movement, a vast movement in Bangladesh where almost a half a million Muslims come to know Jesus out of his movement alone, what he instigated in following Christ. And then he calls me up one day and says, Vern, what do I say to this wife? I have a 27-year-old man who committed his life to Christ and was following him, and he was so burdened for a village down the road that he went to that village, and they killed him. And he has a wife and two children. What do I say to her? And you can imagine that what, what goes through my mind when I'm thinking about what do I say. Why would people do what they do? Why do they do that? It's because of what we just talked about earlier. They've heard the message of Jesus, and they've taken it personally into their lives and know that he has transformed them, he is transforming them, and they want to share the gospel with their people who need to come to know Jesus. And that's happening all over the world. I'm just giving you a few instances of what I know. As we look at some of these slides, I want you to look at the guiding scripture, and, and actually, you really set a, the tone for me well with the Savior. Knowing who the Savior is, if we look at, go ahead and just put all three of them up for me, please. Uh, 28, Matthew 28, 9, 18 to 20. All of you know that one, right? All authority, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And what are we supposed to do? Go and do what? Make disciples of Americans, of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus said, because all authority has been given to me, remember, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And then you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says and told him to wait for him, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and after that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where else? To the very ends of the earth. That message is going to go forth. And then finally, in Revelation 5, 9, and I want to read that one to you. If you remember the picture in Revelation, uh, chapter 4 and 5, dealing with the picture in the throne of heaven. And they're gathered around the throne. And as they're gathered around the throne, they're praising God and worshiping God. And yet the book is there to be opened, the book of judgments that are going to be coming. And the question is asking who's worthy. But here it is. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. And here's why. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
And here's a key that we need to remember. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You and I are a part of the kingdom of God, and you and I are priests. Now, what do priests do? Priests represent God to the people and the people to God. And you and I stand, so to speak, in that gap of representation. And we represent one another. We minister to one another as priests. And God has made us that because of what Jesus has done. As we worked for the IMB, we had a mission. And you can do the next two as well. And as our mission is, our vision is a vast multitude from every language and every people, tribe, and nation knowing and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason they add those two together is because some people say, well, I know Jesus, but they don't worship him. Say, I know Jesus, they don't live for him. They, don't, they say, I know Jesus, but don't have transformed lives. And what we want to see is lives that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that not only are they there to know him, they're there to worship him. To say, what we, what we sang this morning, he's worthy, right? He's absolutely worthy of all our worship. And as we think about that, we think that we too must have the peoples of the world's on our hearts. It's on God's hearts. And so we must be bold in our gospel witness. And, and I love what you said, that, Daniel, that we have a mission right here that has to take place. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about that. But we have a mission that we need to take place right here. Let me give you the facts before us. The situation that we face right now, 4,488,180,841 unreached people. And as you look at this, you see in China and in South Asia where we served, there is every month, how many? Nearly a million people dying, plunging into eternity without Christ. Every single month. You think about that, that's a staggering film. And, but people groups who are not only unengaged and unreached, but up, up until now have been totally, totally in this situation, uncontacted by the outside world. There are still pockets around the world where this is taking place. Now, I want to talk about South Asia because Jennifer and I served 12 years in West Africa. And when I show you some pictures, I'm going to show you some of those from West Africa. But we served 14 years, last 14 years of our ministry, we served in South Asia. And as we were there, we were part of a team called the lead team. And in the lead team, we would go throughout South Asia. We went to every country in South Asia except Bhutan and the Maldives in teaching and spreading the Word of God and helping develop leaders to have a vision to see their people reach for Christ, to be the type of people who love Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and all their strength, and willing to go forward to love their people in spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you look at this sign, you see that the, from the heights of the mighty Himalayas to the crystal clear waters of Maldives, South Asia is both awe-inspiring and heart-wrenching. And here it, here's the key. It is the largest concentration of lostness on the planet. There are more lost people in South Asia than anywhere else in the world. And that's including China. And so you see that the, the, the need is great. South Asia is also the birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, and is the home, and you may not know this, it's home to more Muslims than any other part of the world. Do you know that? You think of the Middle East. No, there are more Muslims in South Asia than there are in the Middle East. That's where they're gathered at at that point. And every week in South Asia, we see 237,000 people die without Christ. So that's why it's nearly a million people. Can you imagine that? Remember when the tsunami hit? 
When the tsunami hit, we were all in awe of the fact that in that day, 250,000 people lost their lives immediately. But every week in South Asia, 237,000 people die without Christ. And so we, we need to see that the, the need is urgent and the need is for us, but not only us, but for the people of India who know Jesus to be involved in wanting to see the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up and people coming to him. And the vision for South Asia, and I love this vision, um, it's changed since we left and I'm in contact with the, the new regional director for that area. And he sends me every oh, me, couple of weeks, a couple of podcasts. So I listen to them and find out what's going on in South Asia. Our hearts are still there. I don't know if you know that, Jennifer, Jennifer and I were talking. Boy, we want to go back. We want to go back and see these people. We love them. We love the pastors we worked with. We want to see them come to know Jesus in that area. Highest concentration of losses in the world. And we're here right now, and we may try to do some things differently to go back in some areas. But thinking about that, you know, breaking your heart, right? thinking about the losses and thinking about these pastors, and I'll tell you a little bit about them in a minute. So the vision is no place that local ownership of the core missionary task for every people, right? For every people and every place. The task for us as missionaries is we can't reach India, can we? There are not that many of the missionaries in India, to be honest, or in South Asia. That's including the Maldives and the other areas. There's not that many of us. But if we can train the people, if we can help the people to catch a vision that they take on themselves that task, just like you mentioned this morning, Daniel, your task is right here. God has placed you in this location, at this place, at this time, to see Santa Barbara and the area around you reach for Jesus Christ. And he lays that upon your heart at this point, I hope. So we think about that. Now, I have a video that you, I want you to show you. That's South Asia in a, two minutes, <laughs> looking at the peoples. Go ahead and show the next slide. If you look at this, you can click on through till we get to the two, three, four, there we go. If you notice, the, that's, that's South Asia, and I didn't have a picture of the Maldives because they're off the coast a little further. And you notice it's 1.7 billion people. That video was called A Billion Eyes Searching, Searching for Jesus. And as we see that, that less, it's an area less than half the size of the United States. Think about that for a minute. And you think about the high concentration of people. You go to a city like Delhi, 25 million people in one city. You go to a city like, like Mumbai, 22 million. Go to Kolkata, Chennai, all these other areas, you'll find a high concentration of people living in that country. Notice there's an estimated 22 million evangelical believers, that's all. Out of that 1.7 billion people, 22 million evangelicals. That's 1.54%. And the majority of that 1.5% is, if you see, is in India. Look at Pakistan, 0.23% evangelical believers. Look at Nepal, 0.67. Look at Bhutan, 1.41. And then in Bangladesh, 0.47%. And the Maldives is really, really a hard area to get into. It's not a large population. 0.001%, and then Sri Lanka is 0.92%. So you can see that there is a huge need, a huge lostness in that vast area. And then there's 1,975 unreached people groups. Now, let me, let me make a clarification here. An unreached people group is a people group of, of a population that's less than 2% Christian, okay? Less than 2%. There's another term that I'm gonna give you in a minute. 
So we see that South Asia has the largest unreached population there at 1.5 billion people that are lost. And when you think about those numbers, it's staggering. Go on with the next one. So what do we do? You know, well, we're looking at the, some facts. Go ahead and go all that. There's great progress that's been made since we've, we've left and even before we left, there's been great progress that was laid. Uh, engaged, now I want to use the term engaged. You have a word term unreached and the term unengaged. The term unreached means they're less than 2%, but there's a viable church within that 2%, okay? And there are people who are reaching. But unengaged means there's nothing. There's no church, there's no gospel witness, and these people may have never heard the name of Jesus. And so the people who are unengaged are, are groups of people that need to be engaged. And part of what our, our training was and the training that's going on now, even in South Asia, is to help the South Asians to engage these people groups. Not just the missionaries to engage them, but other Indians to engage them, other Bhutanese to engage them, also the Pakistanis, whatever group is there. And in the people groups of 100,000 or less that are unengaged, in 2007, you see that 34507? In 2007, we had 345 of the population, more than 100,000 people, only that many who were unengaged. Now, it's less than 94 of those who are left to be engaged. As you look at the other populations that are smaller groups, uh, 10,000 plus, 423, and those that won between 1 and 10,000, it's 466. So what do we do? What do we need to do? What are we asking you to do? The IMB has always had something that they call pray, give, go, and send. All right? That's kind of a nomenclature to help you understand. This is what we want to say. We need pray, people to pray. We need people to give. We need people to go. And those kind of things are, are something that I want to talk about right here for you. And our guiding scripture for this is Matthew chapter, um, when we pray, chapter 9, verses 35. You remember Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, and what was he doing? He was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Then this is what he says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So as we look at that, out of compassion, we, for the lost, we pray. And I hope that your hearts are, have the hearts of Jesus. Jesus was praying for the people because they are dispirited. They are disheartened. They do not have any hope. They're hopeless. And, and many of the people, if you go to India, and the, 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 among the Buddhists and the Hindus, you find they're totally hopeless. Suicide is huge in India. Because why not? I'm going to come back as a new, new, another person and I'm, I don't like the life I'm living now. Just kill yourself off. Life is not valued in those situations. So we need to, to be praying for them. We need to pray for workers of the harvest. That is so essential. But let me give you a warning, okay? I told Daniel about this the other day at lunch. <clears throat> Jennifer and I were serving in a church in Virginia. We were there for nine years. About seven years into it, I started praying for workers for the harvest. I was burdened for the peoples of the world because there's not enough workers. And when I found out the statistics were that 95% of all trained workers stay in America, 5% go outside America, I started praying for the, the harvest people that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. And after praying that prayer for probably a month, 
God spoke to me one day and said, what about you? <laughs> what are you doing sitting here? Oh, well, I'm serving God in this church. I'm doing good. What are you doing? Is this where I want you to be? And so I told my wife about that, and she said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God called me to missionary as a kid, but I think we're doing all right here. So it took her another two years, and after nine years, we left and went to the field and spent 26 years over a field. So if you pray that prayer, <laughs> and you should, <laughs> be willing to listen to what God might say to you, that he might be saying to you where you are, and some of you young people that are here, I know your parents would say, no, 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 don't take my child. And grandparents would say, no, 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 don't take my grandchildren. But if God calls, what's the safest place in the world to be? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That's where safety is. It's not because you're living here in some nice homes. It's not because you're here and making a good living. It's because you're in the center of God's will. Knowing where God wants you to be and what he wants you to do is where you need to be. And so pray this prayer with me. And like I said, Daniel, you might have, what, six more years? Uh, no. <clears throat> I say that jokingly. He said, oh, no, don't tell my church. They might think I'm leaving. I'm not saying that. Okay. And then what do we do? We have to pray. Secondly, we pray for those who have not heard to be open to the gospel. God is still working, isn't he? God is working even here in Santa Barbara. God is working in the Gold Coast Association. He is working in California. We have 35 million people in California that don't know Jesus. Okay, that's a lot of people. But we need to be working and doing what God has called us to do because our hearts have that same compassion. So we're praying that. So how should we pray? One of the ways you can do that is to go ahead. How should we pray? We pray by asking God to put a people, group, or country on your hearts. Do research on them. Say, God, I'm, I know you've called me to stay here. You've called me to be whatever he's called you to be here and living here. And you're sure that's what he's called you to be. Start thinking about the world. Think about a country. Think about a people group. And you can easily go on, online and search it out. Look at imb.org under pray and under more to look at specific peoples. And begin praying. Now, I say that to you because it's so important. A church adopted a people group in India. I just heard this in November 9th. This story, November 9th. I didn't know this one before. I knew of others. This church was given a people group. They, didn't, they went to India. They were looking for them. And they couldn't find them. They prayed for five years for this people group. And then one of our missionaries there in, in India was doing a training. And he said, is there anyone here from this people group? And he didn't mention the name. This man raised his hand. I, I'm a pastor. And he said, you are, come up here. I need to talk to you because this church had not found any of them. And as he went up and he started cheering, the guy said, yeah, we came to Christ. We got a church. We're starting to multiply and get other churches going. And I'm glad for this training. And he said, when did this happen? He said, about five years ago, the first believer of our people came to know Jesus. When that church started praying those people started opening up their hearts to God. So don't take it lightly when you look at a group of people, at a people group, and you start praying for them, pray earnestly that God would be working and God would bring the gospel to those people so that they might too come to know him. And this, this church was just excited to death because of what God had done, because they were faithful. Even though they didn't know who they were or where they were or how to find them, they prayed for them. And God brought the, the, well, what did you say? Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God brought the increase, even in this situation. So you should pray it for that. 
Set a time daily as well to pray specifically for the missionaries and people. You can put them on your hearts and minds. Uh, Jennifer and I have uh, a lot of our missionary friends that we pray for, as well as some of the pastors in India that we still pray for. Um, we met a lot of pastors because we were training all over the place, and I know and have a lot of relationships over there. So we need to pray that God would continue to use them. So what's the second thing they said? Pray and give. And a, a heart of prayer is going to lead you to a heart of generous giving. It comes out of that heart, right? It's been changed. As your heart is changing because you're, you're concerned about the peoples, you're concerned about the gospel, you're concerned about seeing things go forward, you're going to give. You know, God's going to have, God owns it all anyhow, right? You know that everything you own is not yours. It all belongs to him. Well, even my, well, even my 10%, I give my 10%. That's when I used to, used to trick the Indian pastors. I said, okay, you've got 100%, right? And you're, you give God 10% or 20%. What about the rest of it? Who owns that? And they said, we do. And I said, no, you don't. You've been entrusted with this as stewards. You are stewards of even that which you hold on to. And you need to steward it well, what you have. And so they understood that giving is that. The Lottie Moon offering gives 60% of what is needed. All right, 60%. 100% of that 60% goes overseas. None of it stays in the U.S. None of that money stays in the U.S. So when you give to the offering, you know that it's not going to stay here. It's going to go overseas. It will help to educate uh, MKs, missionary kids. It will go over there to help Bible translation. It will go over there to help gospel training. It will go over there to help evangelists to do with the work that they need to be doing all overseas as we look at what God is doing over Word. It's all there. It's all over there. Um, your gifts um, are supporting 3,692 missionaries who last year saw 52,586 new believers baptized. Now, you notice I use the word baptized. That's probably 50% of the number of people who came to know Jesus. One of the problems that we have overseas modern times is people will come to Jesus, they'll come by faith in him, but it takes little progress to get them to be baptized. It even happens here in the U.S. If I look at the statistics about the number of people who come to know Christ and how many are baptized... It's a different area. Now, why, why am I emphasizing baptism? Baptism is that beginning stage. It's not the end. And we need to help people understand that baptism is that beginning step of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm proclaiming to all that I follow him and him alone. And without that step, what we see is a lot of people will start backsliding and start going and not following the way they need to follow. And so it's, we've been working on that when we, in our trainings with our pastors. You need to help the people understand that baptism is important. Not that it, because it saves you, Jesus saves you, but because it tells the world that you're now united with Jesus and you're united with this body of believers. And so we wanted that to be the place. Now, uh, you can also give to special projects at, at imb.org. They have those. If you, if you have a lot of money, if you're one of these wealthy people. Um, how many of you know John Grisham? Know John Grisham? Yeah, the writer? He gave a million dollars to the IMB for a special project. Uh, he probably had it because of all the books he sold, but he just went ahead and said, here's a million bucks to use for reaching the world for Christ. And it was good to hear, get that. Your church is already involved. Did you know that? Did you know that you're already supporting every time that you give to the cooperative program you guys are giving? 17 cents out of every dollar goes straight to the IMB. And so as your church has continued to give, when you give your offering, your church gives a percentage of that to the cooperative program, which is 
remember, giving to the cooperative program is not the issue. The issue is that's the vehicle for supporting missions. All right? The important thing is missions, not the cooperative program. All right? So think about it in those terms. And your church has been very, very generous, as a matter of fact, uh, throughout the years, and it continues to be a real uh, highlight of that. The next thing we know that we need to see, why would we give? What's going to go on? Go ahead. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15, we're going to see some, some truths here. I'm not going to read that to you. Uh, how do we give? We give cheerfully without compulsion, right? That's how we give. I'm not going to come up here and say, did you give? Did you give? Did you give? Click, click, click. No. It's, it's out of your cheerful heart. It's out of that overflow of your love for God, out of that stewardship that he's given to me. God has blessed me. Um, we had a man that was, was teaching stewardship, and he used the illustration that there was a man in a church in, in Texas. And this man had a business, and he had the pastor pray for him, and he was giving 10%. And he came in one day, and he said, Pastor, I can't keep giving a tithe to this church. And he said, why not? And he said, well, God's given me so much money, you know, it would be a huge amount of money to give. And so the pastor said, okay, let's pray. And he said, I'll pray that God will reduce your business to the point where you could give 10%. Oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it, okay? <clears throat> so he, he said, you know, if, if God's blessed you, then you give as God's blessed you, right? And so I, I don't know if that's apocryphal or if that's true, but uh, I talked to someone and said, yeah, it's true. Anyway, so we give cheerfully. And we know that God's grace abounds in our generosity. And, and listen to this. This is from the passage. I'm going to read verses 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but listen to this, is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for the liberality of your contributions to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then, of course, the ending, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, who is Jesus. Wow. So you see, as you give and as you're a part of that, it's, it produces thanksgiving on their hearts and produces glory for God. And not only that, prayer is lifted up for you. When I shared with the Indian pastors and the believers there, I said, the church in America is supporting me. The church in America is giving. They were praising God for you. And they were rejoicing and they prayed for you. Can you believe that? The people in India who don't know who you are and how you give are praying for you and thanking God for you because of your generosity. God's blessings were upon you, and God honored that. So now the go and send section is a, a little bit different. In Matthew 28, you know this one, 19 and 20. We just said it at John 20, 21, when Jesus was sending the disciples up, out. He says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And then Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 4. What does it say there? It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They sent them away. Notice that, and I think Daniel hit it, notice that though we all have an obligation to go make disciples of all nations, you have that obligation here, we must be set apart and sent by the Holy Spirit to the uttermost parts. 
And as you are praying, as you are seeking to know God's will for your life, especially if you're a young person here, I see some young folks here, if God is reaching into your heart and telling you, this is what I want you to do, then listen to what the Holy Spirit says. That he sets you apart, let your pastor know, talk with your pastor, and I know the church will want to send you apart, set you apart as well. That this is what God has called us to do. Notice though, uh, if God is leading, you can go either a short term, midterm, or long term. You can go on a short term trip. Maybe God's telling you, I can't go long term, but maybe I could spend two weeks, maybe I could spend a month ministering in another culture. And if God's leading you that way, there's ways that you can do that. On a short-term trip, you can partner with our missionaries. We have missionaries all over. I've, if you want to go to South Asia, let me know. I can put you in contact with a lot of folks. But you can partner with them and go overseas with them. Uh, you just have to go on the imb.org and click on go. If you go midterm, that's a longer commitment. It's two months to three years. Okay? We have a journeyman program that's called Journeyman. It's for those of you who finish college, you can apply with the IMB. They will send you out. They will prepare you. They will train you. And they will send you for two years to minister. And some of our journeymen is what we call them. And they're journeywomen too. Go over there. They are the most effective people that we've ever seen. They'll go into neighborhoods and they'll share the gospel freely, openly. And they have seen people come to Christ. Lots of people come to Christ. And so we really enjoyed having the college people come who would be willing to do that. And you know, by the way, this is just a kicker. Those of you that go on a short-term trip or go as a college person, many of those turn around and become full-time missionaries overseas. So God will put things on your heart when you see the people over there. So you, I would encourage anyone, uh, a college or adult age, who senses God wanting them to be involved in touching the nations, do it. What will it do? It'll increase your praying, for what's going on, uh, it'll increase your, expand your worldview as well. And then the next one is any church can be involved in sending professionals. Uh, oh yeah, sending professionals, students, retirees. I don't have a clicker, I'm used to a clicker. You need to get a clicker, Daniel, <clears throat> just for me. Um, <laughs> no, that's the one. So you can do that uh, out there. These would represent it from your church and you're supported spiritually. If you go from this church, I know this church will pray for you. The church we left in, in Virginia prayed for us uh, while we were on the field for 26 years. We had prayer partners that we contacted and prayed for us every single week. And we appreciated it because we knew we needed it. Um, you know you're in a battle here, right? You are. You're in a battle against the forces of Satan that have been arrayed against you, against the systems that have been set up. And our desire is to see those strongholds taken down and destroyed and the gospel penetrating them. And you're in that battle, and, and I hope you're in that battle through prayer and representing your church. What will you experience if you go? You're going to experience all kinds of things. You'll experience many sights, smells, and sounds, okay? Now, I'm not going to be able to show you any smells or show you any sounds on this, the pictures that I'm going to show you in a minute. But that's going to do it. But you're also going to see God working in, in marvelous ways in the lives of people. And it's going to shake your views, your U.S. world views. We have a distorted, I hate to say this, sounds bad, doesn't it? But we have a distorted worldview here in America, if you're grabbing onto that. Uh, we need to have a different worldview. We need to see the peoples of the world and the value of the people of the world. 
and it'll shake our values as well. The other thing that you'll do, you'll meet those who in the midst of poverty and persecution, that they persevere with great joy. These are those people whom I think are really saints of God, doing the work that God's called them to do over there. And let me go through the pictures quickly here. Uh, that's Africa where we were, that's a Tuareg. A Tuareg is a part of a Muslim people group. This is little Mohammed, named after whom? Mohammed. Mohammed came to know Jesus and he was wanting to see his people come to know Christ. And he, we were up in the edge of the Sahara Desert with him. Next one, this is a wash day. This is how you do wash if you're a local. Uh, not how Jennifer did it, but this is how they do it, walking over to do their wash and you can see how they carry it. And by the way, you have to have strong necks to carry that stuff, ladies. All right, next one, if you need to get water, this is where you get your water. You don't turn on a faucet in West Africa. In some of the big cities, in most of the big cities, you'll have running water. But when you go to the village, right on the edge, it's all this way. And the pumps are a good place. We tried to tell the ladies at this point here, when you go to the well to get your water, share a Bible story with your friends that are around there because they're gathered together and they're open to listening. Next one, uh, if you go to India, you might want to go to the Northeast and find tea picking. And a lot of the tea pickers up there, uh, we went and visited a plantation, and the guy happened to be a, he was a follower of Christ, and saying, you know, a lot of our tea pickers now are going away because they're providing education for their children. Their children don't want to pick tea leaves. <laughs> so it's causing some issues. But that's what you might see. Next one. In Nepal, if you're going to go to Nepal, you need to know that it's going to be up and down and up and down. It's very mountainous there. There are some plains that are there down in the south of Nepal, but mostly Nepal... Um, a friend of mine that lived in Nepal used to tell the people that come to visit, he said, how do we prepare? Should we run? No. He said, go, to the, go out to your stadiums and run up and down the steps because you're going to be that kind of walking, as you can see this. Next one. Now, one of the great things that we found over there that I find lacking in the U.S. is when we went to talk and train, the people were hungry for the Word of God. They were hungry to hear what God has to say and how they can take that word and use it and tell their friends and their neighbors and their families about Jesus. Next one, our group, I told you we were training pastors. Here's what a training group looked like. I want to talk about one man right in the top row. What is that? That's the left. Second from the left, his name is John Peter. When John Peter came, he had a small church in his, he actually built this church himself in some property that his parents owned. And as he was there and we were talking about the lost people, he came up to me and said, Vern, there are 3,000 villages around me that need to know Jesus. And our vision for our church is to see those, those villages touched with the gospel. 3,000 of them. Last count I saw in India, 600,000 villages without a witness of Jesus Christ. That's how many villages were there. So... Last one. What, what do we need to do? Go ahead. A final word from the IBM. Sorry, I went ahead. In Acts 6, Stephen is described as being full of faith. Verse 5, grace, power, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. This picture describes our prayer as we partner together that God would grant each of us individually and all of us corporately supernatural, spirit-filled faith, grace, power, and wisdom to do whatever he calls us to do no matter what it may cost. For the spread of the greatness, greatest news in all the world to men, women, and children 
who have never heard it. That's a great prayer, that we would be that way. I pray that way for a lot of our pastors here in the Gold Coast as the director of missions. I pray that God is going to move them supernaturally, spirit-filled, that they might lead their churches in a way that would bring the gospel to their neighborhoods. So where do you begin, finally? Begin here and now to engage people, all right? Start right here. Engage people, build relationships, and share with joy, all right? You should have great joy. With joy. What did we sing? Did we sing joy to the world? We didn't sing that. We should have sang that. What's going on, right? Anyway, so with great joy, right? As we were singing, you know, all the Christmas songs and the other song, there was joy, I could tell, in your hearts as God's presence is here. And we need to share that with joy, the hope that we have in Jesus. The world has come. Did you know that? The world has come to the U.S. California has 24% foreign-born. Did you know that? 24% foreign-born. Ventura County has 50, over 50% Hispanic. Santa Barbara County has somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45% Hispanic. But there are Russians, there are Indians, there are people all over the place. Build a relationship with them. Uh, Jennifer and I go walking, and sometimes she's not with me, and I go walking, and if I'm, I meet an Indian a lot of times on the street, and I'll stop and talk to them. Of course, they look at me like, what? What are you doing talking to me? I talk to them because I want to get to know them, and I want to be able to see where they stand. And I've met three Indian Christians, which surprised me uh, by doing that, just stopping and talking to people. So begin building relationships with them. And remember, it's come. And then pray, give, and go as you're led by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, I want to thank you for your gift of Jesus. It is the most indescribable gift that we could ever know, that we could ever have. And Father, I thank you that because of that gift, we have hope. We have a hope that, just as Daniel talked about, that we will be on this earth where peace will reign forever and ever. We have peace in our hearts. We know a Savior who has died for us, and we glorify you, Father. We glorify you because of what you've done. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our love. You're worthy of all. And we thank you that because Jesus came and he returned, that he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to help us, Father, to become the people we need to be. And Father, I pray for Apostles Church. Thank you, Father, for them. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the leadership that he's giving here. Thank you for Ryan for the leadership they're giving. I would pray, God, that as this church continues to grow, as it continues to look forward to fulfilling the mission that you've given to them here, that your name would be lifted up and people in Santa Barbara and surrounding counties would come to know Jesus because of the light that shines here. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of the people here and pray, Father, that you would bless them richly. And Father, as we think about how we can pray, how we can give, and Father, if you want us to go, I pray that no matter what it may cost us, that we would do what you want us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.